From DeCamilla Capital Management in Sacramento, California, this is What's Cooking on Wall Street with your hosts, Dave DeCamilla and Ty Rickman. Ty Rickman, again, welcome you to What's Cooking on Wall Street. It's been a little while since our last podcast, but I'm back here and so is Dave. How are you doing today, Dave? Ty, it could be better. It's almost a year since uh, the shutdown. Actually, it is a year. It's uh, a year. We're, uh, we were on red alert a year ago, and all of a sudden now we can stick our heads out, and uh, the world is still here. It didn't end. It looks like we're going to move forward. Yeah, almost there. Not, not, can't get complacent about it, but we're definitely getting close. That's for sure. That's right. We can see a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And as they say, hopefully it's not a train coming at you. So <laughs> yeah. let's, uh, let's hope for the best. We're still working remotely. That's why Dave's calling in on the phone right now. But we've been working with our clients uh, via the phone. And really, I would I won't say totally seamless, but it's been a pretty easy transition at DeCamilla Capital. Yeah, it's been quite humbling for me in the sense that we had our best year ever. And um, I had a bit of an illness for part of the year. And... The ship of state just did just fine, and uh, that's why we're really thrilled that a year after the pandemic, our firm and the clients have all done exceptionally well, which is which is very good. We're, we're glad. And, but we often say nothing fails like success, and the question today is, well, when do you sell? I mean, there's, we've just gone through a period in the month of February where there was a contraction. People are worried about higher interest rates impacting on the stock market and do you sell, do you not sell, how do you handle these things? And uh, our topic for today is when do you sell? Right, and that's been a big question because we're recording this here in the second week of March in 2021 and there's been a big rotation happening. You know, the tech stocks that really carried the market through all of 2020 as people began working from home and these tech companies were facilitating that, the, their run-up is kind of tailing off a little bit and people are rotating back into more of the cyclical names, names that are dependent on an open economy and names that hoping to do well uh, with the anticipated economic boom we're going to have with the reopening. So that brings this up. Well, what should I sell and what do I need to look for when selling? operated under for years. If it's the right company, the holding period might be forever. So then the question is, well, what triggers a sale? What events or what types of things trigger a sale? And in that category, there's opportunistic sales and strategic sales. The first reason to sell is, is one would think a breakdown in fundamentals. Something happens to the company. The industry, the, the CEO dies, their product has trouble, uh, taste and preferences change. I can think of a company like General Electric. They just lost their way. They bought high into the oil business. They sold low with the financials. They made all kinds of, of errors. And um, what was a core holding for us ended up being a sale. We had to get rid of it. The fundamentals broke down. Avon Products, same deal. Fundamentals broke down. Uh, there's a second reason, and it's kind of related to the first. There's a better alternative. You know, one might say, well, the stock I sold, what's wrong with it? Fine. Well, what's right with something else? Well, the latest example for us was Glaxo Holdings, a terrific drug company, one of the largest in the world, but it hasn't really done much. And we kind of felt that we had plenty of exposure to the pharmaceutical industry with other companies that were doing fine, Johnson Johnson, AbbVie, Bristol-Myers, etc. We didn't really need that. There were better relative alternatives in other sectors. So we used Glaxo as a source of funds. Another reason, a third reason to sell would be overweighting. 
again, goes back to nothing feels like success. It started out with 100 shares of XYZ company. It grew, it split, it grew more. Uh, all of a sudden, it's 18% of your portfolio. Really, Ty, we kind of feel if you don't have at least 3% weight, it's not worth doing. So on a $500,000 portfolio, it wouldn't be uncommon to have 15000 or or more in a, a given position. That's not unreasonable. But if it got to a point where in a 500000 portfolio it was 60000 or, you know, better than 10%, you might say, hey, can we cut this back and move somewhere else? In other words, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. And it, yeah. goes, it goes back to the first reason to sell. Well, if you're extremely overweight in a position and say, going back to your General Electric example, there, there was nothing wrong with that company until there was. And as soon as there yeah. was, it nosedived. And if you're overweight in a position in a company that has a fundamental problem, well, that's going to have a, an oversized effect on your overall portfolio. Correct. And so you want reasonable weighting. No amount of diversification will solve the issue of, uh, gee, what do I invest in? That's been overworked. So it's okay on that weighting issue. Sometimes you might get to 10% and you say, gee, we want to hang on to this because it's absolutely exceptional. In which case, you know, too much of a good thing can be wonderful. That, that, you know, that's what Mae West said. But at some point, the overweighting becomes an issue. If for no other reason, you can sell the position, still have it, position the capital in another good idea. So that, right. that's overweighting. Third, uh, what we found over the years, price targets don't always work. Position goes in at 30 bucks a share. It goes up to 45 Oh, we made a 20% move and time to jettison it. Now, those hard and fast rules don't always work, especially with cyclical stocks. Uh, there's opportunistic times to get into them when the PEs are low and it looks, it looks appealing well. It's a cyclical company. You might want to get into it when the PE is high and they're not making any money. And they start making money, the PE drops. It's a low PE, which normally would trigger a purchase, and you say, no, time to sell it. So cyclical stocks are hairy devils. They're uh, very, very hard to deal with, and you need to be very careful. That's why we don't own them. We tend to own companies with annual recurring revenue that are, are not really very cyclical. So you want to kind of stay out of that. Right. Never sell anything on political concerns. There's another canard. Oh, gee, so-and-so's getting elected, so-and-so's not getting elected. Such and such is happening in England. And that's something that came up here just a couple months ago as we got a new president, a new party took control of the Senate, and there was a lot of hand-wringing over, well, the market doesn't like change, and the market's not going to respond positively to it. And, of course, the market did the exact opposite. It's actually been having a pretty good year so far. Along that line, you'll hear this uh, analyst will come out and say, well, the market doesn't like uncertainty. It's always uncertain. When someone says, gee, things are uncertain, well, when it's certain, let me know. It never is. And in my opinion, selling stocks go from the bottom up. The fundamentals are in place. Evaluations are reasonable. Fine. For example, if you have a position in a portfolio, if we do, if it's there, we're willing to buy it at that price. And if we're not, we're probably going to sell it. So if it's good enough to hold, it's good enough to accumulate. And if it isn't, then maybe you should sell. one should sell it. But, again, when you're stepping up to sell something, believe me, there's somebody on the other side of the table that's all, all ready to buy it. Bear in mind that every time you're selling, somebody else is buying. So, right. so what else do you sell? What other times? So what if you need money? Oh, so my eldest daughter is going to college. I need money in September. It's April. 
sell right now. Don't wait. Oh, the market's going up. Sell now. Don't wait. Get the cash. You know, for the amount you need. Don't, you may not have to liquidate your old portfolio, but if you do, you do. But if you know you need money at a certain time, you don't want to be forced to do something. This is a rule. You don't want to be forced to do something you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. And uh, selling is a good way to eliminate that conundrum. And there's also a time a personal need to sell might be to offset some gains tax-wise. So, that could be. That's right. There's yeah, a, so, in taxable account, that's another thing. you got a partner, Uncle Sam. He's going to take a you know, uh, capital gains tax plus state tax. So, And that's only in taxable accounts, brokerage accounts, trusts, et cetera, not, not in IRAs or qual- other qualified retirement plans that are yeah. tax-deferred. Another reason to sell is when the yield gets real low. A lot of times you buy a stock, the dividend is, say, 5%. You know, a $20 stock with a 50-cent dividend to 5% yield. But uh, let's say the stock goes to uh, 40 bucks. Well, the dividend drops, and that's the time to sell it. You buy when the dividend yield is high, and you sell when the dividend yield is low, meaning that stock is appreciated. Now, you have to be careful there. A lot of times we have what we call yield hogs. They jump after every stock with a high dividend. Well, a lot of times that's an indicator of trouble. So selling stocks based on dividend yield or buying stocks on based on dividend yield, you have to really drill into the fundamentals. And can the company sustain the dividend? Do they have the cash flow? There's other times to sell a stock when the company cuts the dividend. Well, that may be a time to buy it because the money never leaves the company. The company may say, well, we're not going to pay this money out to shareholders. We're going to clean up our balance sheet and more expansion. That might be bullish in the long run. Conversely, a company that's paying out lots of cash doesn't have money to uh, reinvest in the business, and it may be a short-term palliative for the shareholders, but in the long run, it doesn't work. Again, I'd cite GE, you know, they had all that did. That's the first thing they did is cut the dividend, and it actually helped the company get whole again. It seems that the common denominator to all of these reasons to sell have to do with either the individual investor or the individual company. When the market was going through its tumult this time last year, and you were seeing 2,000-point sell-offs on the Dow every day, there was nothing fundamentally wrong with those individual companies. The selling was happening because of broader market panic, and that's why you saw the market rebound, and you saw it come back last year as well, because people were selling on macro fears as opposed to individual companies' fundamentals. You need a rational basis to sell something, just like you need a rational basis to buy something. Fear and greed are generally not good ideas. They're not good motivators to sell things. The real issue in in money management and capital allocation, in my view, on the buy side, we say uh, bought right, half sold. My brother was a lumber trader for many years. He says if if you buy the asset correctly, you can always unload it. We tend to be very disciplined on the sell side. We're not going to sell based like we talked about political reasons and all that. It has to be some specific fact-based rationale to getting rid of the stock. It's breaking down. The client needs money. You, know, you tend to want to insert a rational framework on liquidation. You can, you can really get into trouble listening too much to the macro top-down forecast. Now, we've talked about it. People that are, are negative are always seem smarter. They always seem like they know something. Oh, don't do this. You better sell than that. And it's easy to get sought into the selling thing. On the other hand, if the company is clearly breaking down, yeah, get sell it. It's time. It, or you have a better opportunity. I wish there was a hard and fast rule. Always sell this, 
never sell that. But in fact, like most things, this is an array of factors that comes into dictating the, you know, the sell decision. And that's why you and I have jobs, because we spend the time to research each of these companies to see how their fundamentals are doing and look right. look at them individually. Yeah. That's yeah. the benefit of having a personalized, actively managed portfolio. Yeah, none of this applies to mutual funds. If you're in a mutual fund, you're on a bus. I mean, you get on the bus, you get off the there's not a lot of uh, customization in a lot of these ETFs, products. You know my feeling. They're investment versions of TV dinners. Right. They're okay, but you know, it's nothing like a customized, home-cooked, from-scratch deal, which just so happens is a perfect segue into our chicken piccata idea. Our recipe for the episode is chicken piccata. So, Dave, why don't you tell us your secret to making a fantastic chicken piccata? Papers, lemon juice, fresh lemons, a couple of those, squeeze them, white wine or dry sherry, some flour, chicken breast, EVO, a couple of pats of butter. And what you do, take your chicken cutlets, pound them a little bit, flatten them out. Not real head, not real, uh, don't, don't abuse them. Uh, anyway, they're thin, you dredge them in flour, and you saute them in extra virgin olive oil, and get them nice and cooked. It doesn't take a long time. It's kind of golden brown. It takes maybe five minutes on one side and a couple minutes on the other. And put them on a platter in the oven and keep them warm. And then you have this nice fawn in your saute pan with the flour and the EVO. To that, you, you put your capers in. And I don't, you know, I don't even rinse my capers. I like a little of that acidity. Uh, the lemon juice, the white wine, you make a sauce. And then, in the end, you put a couple pats of butter in it. Now, what else I do is, this, this is a good thing. You take your lemons after you squeeze them, slice a couple of them real thin, throw those in the sauce, and they'll cook down as well. And then you bring your cutlets out of the oven and warm. You take your sauce and just pour it over the top, garnish it with a little parsley. You serve it with orzo and some sautéed greens or mashed potatoes. Voila, you got dinner. And how thick should that sauce be? Uh, well, you cook, you cook it down by about half. The butter actually thickens it up at the end. You put the butter in at the end, and that kind of thickens it. And the flour and the, and the fawn in the bottom of the pan will make a, make a nice sauce. It was where we had to celebrate International uh, Women's Day on, on Monday, March 8th. Well, there you go. That's, that's a great recipe. And what makes this Sacramento's original food-themed financial podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Original and best. All right, Dave, well, thanks. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk Come to on. you all next time. Thank you.